Good morning. I'm Ryan Hendrickson. I'm the Dean of the Graduate School at Eastern Illinois University and also a professor of political science. And I want to welcome you to EIU Innovate. This is a podcast devoted to outstanding um, achievements at Eastern Illinois University, where we're really focusing on uh, graduate education and faculty members who are making a significant uh, difference in students' lives and their experience here at EIU. Um, it's August 3rd, 2017, and I am very pleased to have our first guest with us here today, Dr. Jay Bigford. Jay is an associate professor of elementary education. Um, he is a really outstanding scholar. Um, he's published two books. He's published around 35 articles, about six of which are forthcoming, and he has five articles that are already in the pipeline and he's working on. So he's done a wonderful job. He also serves as our coordinator, uh, our graduate coordinator of elementary education, which is making some significant steps forward. And he also serves as the chair of our institutional review board. So he plays a number of important roles here at Eastern Illinois University, and I'm so pleased to have him as our first guest. Jay, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Jay, first of all, um, you have published so much um, scholarship over the years. Um, Tell me a little bit about your research, and um, what direction are you heading with your research, and tell me maybe about the major themes and finding that uh, you're working on right now. Sure. Um, History isn't, it's not feel-good fables, and it's not intended only for historians, not just for historians to read and not just for historians to write. And history education certainly isn't about memorizing facts in a textbook. Historical thinking isn't uploaded at maturity and synced with your prior knowledge. It's developed over time, and it should be started with young kids, just like two plus blank equals seven is a pre-algebra skill that second grade teachers use all the time. Young children can engage in historical thinking too if it's age appropriate and discipline specific. So what I do is I explore the texts and the tasks that best facilitate students' historical thinking. By texts, I mean the trade books, textbooks, documentary movies, primary sources, um, what teachers might use. And I'm finding there's a huge gap between historians' understandings and trade book authors' narratives. And this really perpetuates lots of myths that aren't in the historical record. And by tasks, the historical tasks, I mean the activities that that historians engage in, that young children can too. Even young kids can compare and contrast different interpretations of the same event. Think about arguments over a ball at recess, or if the runner was safe at kickball. Kids can compare the source, they can compare divergent interpretations. And what I do is I teach future teachers and practicing teachers how to put kids into a position to evaluate different historical perspectives. So you're looking at trade books, right? Largely, yeah. And these trade books um, have illustrations or portraits of different historical figures. And how do you go about this research? And and, uh, what, give me like your... Your most recent study, I know, has focused a little bit on Abraham Lincoln. So tell me how you go about that and maybe what your major finding is with regard to Abraham Lincoln. Sure. Um, If you were to take a a view from 10,000 feet above above the ground, it's kind of like a Venn diagram where historians' understandings are in one circle, 
and the trade book authors' narratives are in the other. And I look at where there's overlap. I see what's included and what's excluded. And when it comes to what's included, how is it represented? Um, with someone like Lincoln, this is a fascinating, fascinating figure. As Andrew Ferguson said, uh, more books have been written about Abe Lincoln than any other American, nearly 14,000. And at least half of those books begin by saying that more books have been written about Lincoln than any other American. Um, and, lar and I try to look at books based on their intended audience for the elementary level, middle level, high school level. And one of the things I found with Lincoln particularly is that he's largely portrayed in all the books, K-12, by his dispositions, like his resiliency, or overcoming a modest upbringing. Um, he's largely portrayed that way. Um, he's represented as an idealist with 20th or 21st century notions of equality. Um, and that's misrepresentative of, of what historians know about Lincoln. Uh, when it comes to when it comes to say slavery, which is what he's most often associated with in the Civil War, he's largely misrepresented um, as being idealist, as being an idealistic social justice warrior seeking to end slavery from his from his beginning. While he was exposed to slavery on Mississippi boats and on a slave trail near Kentucky when he was a youth, um, he also defended slave owners in court as a lawyer. He opposed slavery, uh, but he was also opposed to social equality. Um, he explored repatriation, where he'd actually send the ex-slaves to other continents or into the American West. If he was alive today, with his views today, we would probably call him a segregationist. Um, he was not an egalitarian. And I look at how what the historians know, and then what's in the trade books, and I see where do these myths begin, largely in the elementary grades. But also, how, how prominent are they in the middle grades and the high school grades? No one would suggest that every book can include every element. But teachers should be aware of what's included and, and what's not included. For instance, most of the books, even for high school kids, they focused on his life prior to the presidency, when he was a lawyer, a state politician, his debates, the tough campaigns. While a lot of the 19th century tensions were minimized or omitted entirely, some of these tensions like westward expansion, race relations, the urban-rural conflict, north-south conflicts, federal-state conflict. Um, the early grade books would mention, something like 80% of them would mention one, with no reference to the other four or five. Middle grade books would only mention two or three. And that's nice to see an improvement, but high school books didn't improve from there. So, Jay, would you say, you know, so much of your research uh, – you have some fascinating findings on how Lincoln is portrayed. Would you say overall that many of these trade books have kind of, uh, I don't know, glamorized or glossed over some of the challenging aspects of these presidents or other leaders' lives? Is that the general theme of what you say your research findings are? In general, yeah. They try to take complicated figures with lots of nuances and paint them as simple black and white. Someone's all good or all bad. Um, you know, they're, they're evil incarnate or they're the second coming of the second coming of a savior. Yeah. So what are you working on right now? What's your projects that you're most excited about and that you may be partially into, but your findings aren't completely filled yet? <laughs> Hitler. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm reading about Hitler and, uh, and Hitler's one of those fascinating, contentious figures that is so easy to minimize and so easy, uh, so easy to overlook the nuances. In no way am I saying he should be celebrated, um, but 
he also wasn't able to brainwash people. He, when it comes to what actually is brainwashing and indoctrination, I mean, no person can do that over millions of people. So the and, portrait thus far, though, that you're identifying is is what? Mm. Well, I haven't gotten into the trade books yet. What I have to do, uh, when it, you asked about research that I'm initiating, I have to read the historiography. Yeah. I have to I have to understand what historians understand, and I've got about two dozen books, biographies, and expository books on Hitler in my office that I'm that I'm pouring through in my in my time, and I'll take that. I'll take my understandings there and say, okay, this is what historians know. What's presented about Hitler in the trade books? Okay, okay. Yeah. Do you have a favorite publication over your uh, extensive list of uh, scholarly achievements? I'm not sure how extensive it is, <laughs> but my favorite is absolutely my work with Eleanor Roosevelt. Um, she is, uh, I believe, the most consequential American, American female. Um, and when, when you see her story, it's, it's incredible. She spent a lifetime hoisting humanity upwards through small acts of kindness and bold, un unprecedented actions while she was so humble. She always deflected praise. Um, she was born to affluent par parents with, uh, with an unparalleled family history, but she had an, angry, an anguished childhood. She was rich and largely alone. Her mom died when she was nine. Her dad died shortly after that. Her grandmother basically shipped her off to boarding school. Um, but, I mean, she was the classic lonely kid with the silver spoon. Um, she grew to shun privilege and speak for the voiceless. And in doing so, most of her former friends and family members and other high society contemporaries derided her. Um, she finds confidence and service to the world over while ignoring their derision, and she becomes undoubtedly the most accomplished female journalist, over 20,000 articles published, um, and the most consequential public voice of the 20th century. Um, that's what I believe and lots of other historians contend. This shy, introverted girl uh, with a heartbreaking childhood generated superlatives like the first lady of the world, America's conscience, the conscience of a generation, the niece of a president and the wife of a president was so revered that towns were literally renamed in her honor. Think about that. Yeah, it's incredible. Towns her were legacy. Yeah, yeah, towns were literally renamed in her honor. Yet the details of her life are often overlooked or sanitized in these trade books, even for high school kids. The, my, my son's eighth grade textbooks last year had three sentences devoted to her. And her, uh, her accomplishments were quoted as, she helped the poor and wanted people to be treated fairly. So the, so the main theme of then your research is that she just has not received the attention sure. from historians or the trade books sure. that she clearly merits. And that's where it's the details that make her story unique. If all you hear about is she helped the poor and wanted people treated fairly, it's, okay, that's nice. But when you see how she did it, I mean, she didn't just say, I believe in this strike. She carried picket signs during an actual strike as a governor's wife. She pushed for anti-lynching legislation when her husband was president, and she wrote letters in opposition to her husband. <laughs> to her husband's to her husband's detractors she wrote letters of support saying i agree with you my husband cowardly deferred to the senate the southern democrats in the senate think about a president's wife doing that today 
um, she argued against child labor laws, saying that businesses were greedy in employing them and uh, all sorts of things. Uh, she was a licensed concealed carry shooter because of KKK death threats. So I mean, this is a remarkable lady. Yeah, incredible. So where are you in this research? Is it, uh, you know, are you getting ready to publish it or you still need a few more findings to go uh, forward? Or? No, I've published a couple different articles about her. I did one smaller study a couple of years ago, and then I did a much larger study uh, just focused on the books, just focusing on the books. Um, and then, uh, and then, and then that was published, oh, December, I think. Um, you know, a much more comprehensive study on the trade books, looking at the early grades and middle grades and the high school grades. Um, but what I'm trying to do now, because I don't want this just to be heard by academics or, or uh, clicked on by doctoral students, uh, I want to see it in the classroom. So what I try to do is I take anecdotes from her life and adjust the, the primary sources and provide them to local teachers and to work with local teachers to teach the students. So here's an example. When, one, when a white organization wouldn't let a black singer, a black opera singer, perform in a concert hall in segregated Washington, D.C., Eleanor Roosevelt organized the largest, at the time, the largest public concert in Washington, D.C.'s history at the foot of the Lincoln Monument. Now, the sanitized story in the trade books, um, we find trade books that misrepresent this or that skim over this for, say, second graders. And I'll pick some high, middle, and low books for second grade for second grade kids to work in their different groups and then adjust documents that show what she actually did for these second graders. And then and then uh, the, the young students engage in the reading and then text-based writing where they create their own narrative, where they the teacher will say, add a chapter to this book that skipped this important part about this special lady. And, uh, and what I look at is, how do the kids write about what, what she accomplished? Well, how do the kids add to the story? It sounds like your research really has uh, some new findings, but also tremendous uh, practicability for teachers out there who are thinking about how do they present this material. So that's, that's really, I'm always impressed with that. Um, I know you've published a fair amount with uh, graduate students and this is I think one of the wonderful things we see at um, EIU that we have a number of faculty who are very good at partnering and mentoring graduate students and certainly you are one of these people talk about your um, experience with publishing with graduate students and uh, you know what do you get out of it and how does it shape your research agenda oh well uh, the easiest way to start is to just talk to talk to students they share what i'm passionate about and people say all the time uh, they don't like history but rarely are people indifferent when they hear stories like my rants about eleanor roosevelt and what i do is i find students curiosities and i cultivate it and i collaborate with them mentoring graduate students has bolstered my own research because they have inquiries i couldn't have imagined uh gina bora is a local teacher and she was a graduate student she actually won last year's college of education thesis award and uh, she was uh, one of my graduate students, and, and she explored in her research how LGBTQ themes, issues, and individuals appear in middle school and high school literature. This sparked my own interest in soon-to-be-published research on how elementary fiction represents LGBTQ issues, themes, and individuals, and also secondary nonfiction. Where she did middle school and high school fiction, uh, nobody explored elementary fiction 
and no one's explored middle school and high school nonfiction. So a student's idea, Gina's idea, uh, sparked my own interest. And where I'm sharing stories about Eleanor Roosevelt, and she has her own interests from her own life's work, and and I, ex- I, I, I take those ideas and try to find new and different ways to explore. Fantastic. And, and how do you see it helping those graduate student alumni when they go out there and maybe they've published with you or... I know in your case, as you just noted, there's a couple students who've won thesis awards under your mentorship. How does that impact their professional lives once they leave EIU? Sure. Um, there's, it can be looked at differently. Sometimes it can be real conspicuous, real obvious. In the case of Kyle Sakowitz, or Steven is his first name, but uh, Kyle, he earned a, a, the College of Education Thesis Award 2014 or 15 um, and a few grants from the College of Education and the Graduate School um, to explore how Andrew Jackson is represented in in the trade books. Uh, he he won the thesis award. He turned his thesis into a into a publication by Social Studies Research and Practice, which is a very prestigious journal in our field. And um, he published on his own in that journal. And that that article and his success earning internal grants from Eastern Illinois University enabled him to be accepted into every doctoral program he applied. He was also offered different scholarships, grants, fellowships at every one, and he accepted a very large one, a very large renewable research assistantship for his doctoral program at Northern Illinois University. Uh, This is a very obvious way that his research here helped his future. Another example would be Learen Schutte. Uh, she was a, a teacher, a graduate student. Um, she, uh, when she was a when she was a graduate student, she uh, she be, uh, earned the Provost Research Assistantship Award, and she spent a year at Eastern under my under my tutelage, working with me, and then also completing her own research. And it was it was largely her experience landing uh, teaching with primary sources grant from the Library of Congress and also a few internal grants from the graduate school or the College of Education uh, that enabled her to be hired in, in, in her dream location. That's a little more hidden than, say, Kyle's, which is so obvious with the renewable grants. Um, I'm sorry, with the renewable assistantships. But it, it, had a, it had a big impact on her future. These are just two examples, two yeah. illustrative examples. Well, you have impressive, very impressive record of working with graduate students, and it's uh, just really fantastic to see this sort of collaboration and mentorship that's happening. Um, I want to ask you about your graduate program, but before we leave uh, the research, um, you know, our listeners might be wondering, well, when does this guy sleep and when, when does he uh, write? So w- when do you get this scholarship done? Well, I try, I try to write when I can. It's busy. I've got three kids and a wife. And, um, but uh, my, my most productive time for writing is when, when the kids go to bed and the world's asleep at night. And it's just, it's just me on my, on my couch with my feet up and my laptop. That, so, that's what works so best. So after 9 p.m., <laughs> we're not going to find Jay. You're going to be at your laptop yeah. clicking away, right? Yeah. That's <laughs> always best. I, I, I try to read for a little bit every day, write for a little bit every day, and exercise for a little bit every day. But writing is an important yeah, part of my it's life. It's a good life. Jay, tell us um, about your graduate program. Um, you're the coordinator of the graduate program in elementary education, and you're really changing things. And um, we've seen your enrollment really inc- uh, significantly increase, especially in the last semester. 
what are you doing? Why are students increasingly attracted to your program? And just tell us about sort of the direction of where you see your graduate program sure. moving. Well, our Masters of Science in Education, uh, in, in elementary education, in the past has had emphasis in early childhood or elementary or middle level or reading or ESL. Um, and in the last in the last year, we've we've prepared to go fully online, and we marketed that, and then we initiated it this summer, and our numbers have doubled. Our numbers have doubled uh, in uh, in our master's degree seeking students and our graduate certification in reading students, and we're also expanding with the secondary education department on campus to offer an MSED in curriculum and instruction, which will also be entirely online. And because we're entirely online and because when you compare us to other schools that offer similar masters, because we're the cheapest in the state, uh, we have an awful lot of students show, show real interest. And we've doubled our numbers from 25 to over 50 to over 50 this semester, if you count graduate reading certification students. And uh, we're really excited moving forward when we have this K-12 master's degree so that we can more actively recruit high school teachers, middle school teachers, things like that. Well, it's an impressive achievement given that graduate education across the United States in your field has experienced some decline. And at EIU, you're going the other direction. And uh, the enrollment numbers are none all very impressive and deans always like enrollment numbers but at the same time you have tremendous program quality and you've already spoke a little bit about that because of your thesis awards and your mentorship record but you know how do you guarantee the program quality and what are some metrics or measurements that you're using to ensure that the students are having a fantastic experience it's a great question. Uh, and yeah, we love to see the enrollment go up. Uh, we also like to see measurements of our quality. Uh, one way is our graduation rates. So, last I looked, it was like 85, 90% of our students graduate in three and a half years. 60% of them graduate in two. Um, but it's also our placement rates. We don't know of any student that hasn't had a job after they finished their master's or reading certification or ESL. In the last five years, we believe we have a 100% placement rate. Um, it's difficult to tell once they graduate and move on. But for the most part, the contact we have with our students, we believe we have a 100% placement rate. And that always helps. Uh, it, it's also helpful when schools from across the country, Arizona, New Mexico, Tennessee, Virginia, when high school principals, middle school principals, elementary principals come to our job fair and hire our graduate students, um, especially our graduate assistants. It's funny looking at them because they're so nervous getting ready for this job fair. And I think in the back of my mind, in an hour, you're going to come back with a job, I'm sure, because you're talented. Um, so a another informal way to validate what we're doing is when principals pay to come hundreds of miles to interview to interview our graduate students. Um, and uh, since uh, in, in the last seven years, we haven't had a single student not pass the state reading test the very first time they took it. This is another way that we that we measure that we measure our our graduate program success. Okay, Jay, you have another role on campus, which I mentioned in the introduction, and this is your role uh, as chairman of the what we call the IRB, the Institutional Review Board. And um, first, can you explain what the IRB does for our listeners? Yeah. Uh, it ensures that all state and federal guidelines for ethical research protocol are followed. Basically, we make sure that there, there's no face-punching contests in second grade. <laughs> 
That's we good. Make, we make sure that it's mm-hmm. all ethical and follows federal federal guidelines. I joke about it. I, I joke about that, but it's it's uh, uh it's just to ensure that appropriate research is done the appropriate way. And as chairperson, you get to see nearly all of the proposals that come forward. Yeah. And uh, what's exciting and kind of cool that you see happening in that in your capacity then as as chair of this board? It's neat seeing who does what and how consequential their research is. Dr. Gillespie in sociology is doing research on poverty among college students. You wouldn't think that would be an issue, but it is. Poverty among college students, and not just here, but on other campuses. Um, the studies that have been done on, on bullying, on autism, on speech development, on geometric thinking and math, it's remarkable to see who does what. Uh, and it's, it's truly impressive to see the number of reviews that, that come across my desk. I was on vacation for two weeks in July, and I came back to, to 12 or 15 different, different reviews that need, to be, that need to be examined. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Make sure you're working. <laughs> Make sure I'm working. <laughs> well, Jay, I want to sincerely thank you for coming on our first podcast of EIU Innovate. You're doing wonderful things at EIU, and we want to share this with our listeners. Um, our goal is to continue to have additional podcasts where we similarly focus on faculty members, um, leaders on campus who are making a significant difference. And certainly, Jay, in the case, uh, in your case, you've done that. So, uh, thank you so much. Thanks for having me on EIU Innovate. Well, thank you, and um, we hope to be back in uh, later on in the forthcoming weeks, and we appreciate you listening to our podcast. So thank you. 